Let's talk about backing up your data. Yes, it is that time. It's the, I don't know, annual, semi-annual warning that you should be backing up. This is not a, this is not a horror story. This is not something, this, this isn't something I'm saying because something horrible happened. It's just something that I've done recently. I've, I've reconfigured the way that I back up, and I figured it was probably a good topic for discussion because it never hurts to remind people that if you're not backing up your data, it can disappear forever. So you do want to back up. You want to make sure that you're backing up your data somewhere. But this is a big, complex topic. A lot of times there's the implication that if you back up, then you should be doing it this way. And if you're not doing it that way, then you're doing it wrong, or your backup is useless because it hasn't been done this way, whatever. So I want to talk about some of the principles that I've picked up on over the years. Some of these uh, represent advice that I've received from professionals in, in an industry who back up regularly. Others represent things that used to sort of intimidate me or block me from really coming up with a good backup scheme because it seems like, oh, I should be considering that. I'm not considering that. Well, I can't back up until I've thought about that thing. So those are dangerous, and, and I want to get rid of some of those. So there are 10, 10 points, 10 tips here for uh, better backing up. Here they are. One, back up what you care about. That seems kind of obvious, and yet, in a way, it isn't. Because a lot of times when you think backup, you think, well, I have to do full system backups. It has to preserve all of the, the different structures that I've set up and so on. And that might be true for you. That might be what you care about. But ultimately, if you imagine the worst case scenario where your computer just stops working, your, your disk is corrupted, there's no recovery, it's gone, what, what on, that, on that disk, what on that platter do you actually care about? What's the stuff that you actually need? And that's different for different people. For some people, it's just their vacation photos or holiday photos, family photos, whatever. For someone else, it's their dot files. For somebody else, it's their configuration, the, 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 the local configuration files for the, the services they're running online. Uh, for someone else, it's, it's something completely different. Their, their music files, their, their bootleg recordings of their favorite band in a concert, whatever it is, for some, for, for you, you figure out what you care about, what you cannot live without, and, and make sure that's backed up. Like, prioritize. Because if, if all you can do is make yourself back up the stuff that you care about, then great. When disaster strikes your computer, you've got the stuff that you, that actually matters to you. And sometimes taking a, a, a narrow view of what you need to get done is easier than tackling the whole thing. You might not have the disk space on, on, a, on a backup drive to house all of the information on your computer, all of the, the hundreds and hundreds of thousands of photos that you've collected, all the musical albums and all the, all the videos and all the things that pile up, that might be untenable for you to back up. But if you look at it and think, well, what I actually care about are these photos or, or this kind of photo, make sure those are backed up somewhere reliably and then you have them. Okay, so that's point one. Back up what you care about. Point two, back up stuff that isn't backed up. That, again, kind of seems obvious, but sometimes, I mean, I, there's no such thing as having too many backups. I mean, you know, well, there is, but there isn't. So if, if you've got backups of, of all your dot files because you manage your home directory uh, as a Git 
folder, uh, git project anyway, then quite honestly, it, it may be redundant to then back that up to a, a hard drive somewhere. Uh, dot files might be a bad example because to be fair, those are usually pretty small, but you should prioritize the stuff that, that isn't being backed up by something else. And, and Again, for different people, those are going to be different things. If, if all of your photos are being synced to some cloud service somewhere that you feel confident you're going to have access to for the rest of your foreseeable future, then, then maybe you don't need to back up your whole photo folder. I wouldn't do that myself. I wouldn't put my photos on a cloud service like that, but you might. Uh, you might be using Nextcloud, and you might have all your photos invisibly, just transparently being synced to your own Nextcloud uh, se um, setup. In that case, maybe you don't need to, when you when you do your local backup, maybe it is redundant to back up those photos. Now, again, this is a, I'm, I'm walking a, a narrow line here because technically speaking, I don't see the problem here if you're backing up all your photos, both to your Nextcloud instance and to your local hard drive or whatever. So I don't know. In, in a way, that's not a problem. And yet I'm saying if it's a barrier to you that some backup solution that's available to you is is it can't handle your entire photo folder or your videos or, or you know whatever big chunks of data you have then quite possibly look at other means of backing those things up maybe to a next cloud instance maybe to a cloud service that you already have Wh whatever that might be you may be you know you might be able to divide and conquer point 3 Back up what you can in the way you can, but be consistent. This is really, really important, I think. Um, I mean, functionally, it's not important. Like, if you're just, if, if things get backed up out from under you, you don't really realize it. In the unlikely event that some horrible disaster happens to your computer, I'm saying that with slight sarcasm, um, but really, it is, relatively speaking, it's unlikely, right, that your hard drive is just going to fail one day. It happens, but it doesn't happen every day, so you can just ride it out. Hopefully, you'll get a new computer or a new phone or new whatever before the one that you're using right now completely dies. And that's like sort of everyone's backup plan, right? It's just like, ride it out until you're tired of that device. You get a new device, you transfer all the data. That new device has a bigger, more storage anyway. So you're just, you're, you're just, you're not really backing up, you're backing forward. Don't do that. Back up what you can in the way you can and be consistent about it. Because what, what sometimes happens is that people, that something does happen, something fails, a hard drive stops, it can't be read anymore, whatever, the files disappear from it. And then you're scrambling around trying to figure out Okay, so I've got photos over there, and I've got some photos over here, and didn't I send you that one really great photo last Christmas? Yeah, yeah, send me that back if you still have it. You know, and you're, you're like reassembling your life from all of these different components. So it's great that you've got them, right? I mean, it's, it's great that you can reassemble your life by contacting everyone you've ever communicated with and saying, hey, look through your inbox and send me back everything I've ever sent you because I need it all back now. <laughs> like, that's a really bad method of doing it. So back up what you can, but be consistent about it. So if you are putting your photos on a NextCloud instance, that's great. Do that. Keep doing that. And now you know all of my photos that I've ever taken are there on NextCloud as well as my photo directory here on my computer. Where's my music kept? Oh yeah, I remember. I put my music over here on this hard drive 
And every time I buy a new album from Bandcamp or whatever, I put it on, I, I put it on my, in my music directory. And I also plug in my USB hard drive and put all my, the new album over there as a zip file, whatever. I'm just making stuff up, but you get what I'm saying. So there's, there's, there's a consistency. So that should everything fail on your primary system, then it's less of contacting everyone you've ever communicated with, hoping that they happen to have a copy of what you, of what you've lost and more just you you're just thinking okay photos i know where to go for those okay music i know exactly where to go for that my movies i know where those are kept and so on fourth point make it easy this is really really important although again what quote easy unquote means to each person differs so for me easy is i'm not doing the backup that's what easy means for me. Easy means it's automated, that my computer is doing it without me personally pressing a, a button marked go. But for someone else, that might not be, that might be more stressful than easy. If you don't see it happening, how can you be sure it's happening, possibly, is how you feel. So you want to be the person to press the go button. So whatever is easy for you, do that method. And it's not always the perfectest method out there. Sometimes it's it's not an efficient method. It's something that someone could make better for you, honest. Well, if it's easy for you to do it, and you're doing it reliably and consistently, then that's the right method for you. Point five, use a supported backup application. This is really important. Um, it's got a couple of different levels to it. First of all, you want to, the, the way that I mean it uh, for myself, I think, is, is, well, I mean it in all the different ways for myself, but the, the way that I, I really think about this is that for me, my backups, even though realistically six months is the same as a year is the same as two years, but for my backup scheme, I, I just prefer to have a backup application that I know is going to be supported, updated, reliably usable one year, three years, five years from now. That's why I use RDIF Backup. It's just, that's that's the one that I've used for ages. It's the one that I'm going to continue to use for the foreseeable future. It's a really great application. It's easy to use. It seems to be pretty reliable. Uh, I, I know how to use it. It's I can use it from a terminal. I don't have to fiddle around with GUI configurations. That's what I use. Now, the other aspect of this, though, is because, because so you don't want to use something, for instance, that that's going to drop off the face of the earth when you need it the most. And that's kind of like my constant, probably irrational fear is that I'm going to have these backup files, this schema of backup that when things go wrong and I need to use a backup, a file from my backup uh, drive or whatever, I, I'm not going to have the application that's required to retrieve that data. Great thing about RDIF backup is that it just uses tar. So even if RDIF backup itself goes away, I can still get to my backup files. And there's a lot, you know, in open source, obviously that's it's not that big of a deal. Most, I'm going to say most, I want to say all, but I'm just going to say most just in case. So most backup applications use open standards, universal formats that just don't really need anything special to interact with it. It's just, it, it happens that you're using an application to sort of do the scheduling and the arrangement, but in a pinch, you don't have that application available, no problem. All you have to do is untar the thing or unzip the thing or whatever, 
and and restore it. Not that not that fancy. There are applications out there though for other platforms that aren't open source, and they do all kinds of weird things. and And they'll they'll chop files up and and encode stuff, uh, re-encode stuff so that you can't get to it, and and just make a mess of your file system on on your backup image. And, and it if that thing ever goes away, or if you ever uh, are on a different operating system. Uh, for which the backup software is not available, then then you're out of luck. So I personally recommend avoiding that 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 sort of that plan. That's not a good plan. Use something open source. Use something that's using standard file formats, and and really that isn't necessary. Like use a tool that that you don't need to 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 use in order to to do your backups or to get to your backup information your backed up information now how does that go with the previous point number 4 of making it easy well you know i mean making it easy sometimes yeah i mean sometimes it is easier to use some kind of proprietary application that that came with your computer or whatever maybe that is easier for you if that's what you're using and you're backing up reliably and consistently and you feel confident that that software is going to continue to be supported a year from now, two years from now, whatever, then maybe that works for you. Go for it. I wouldn't do it myself, but if it's easy and if it's happening, then that's great. That's better than not backing up. Do you want to learn a new backup application for the future and maybe transition to that? I mean, that's something to think about by all means. But you do want to make sure that your backup application is well-supported and has the expectation of existing years from now. Point six, know how to recover your files. This is a, a funny one because it's something that a lot of us don't really think about, and it kind of plays into this sort of making sure that you're using a well-supported backup application. You do want to make sure that after you've backed up, you understand the procedure for getting your data back out of that backup archive. I like to do this sort of semi-regularly to make sure that that, that I that I stay comfortable with the process. Now, to be fair, if you don't know, it is something that you can learn later when you absolutely, oh my gosh, I, I actually need my backup files now. You can learn that then. It's not the not not probably the end of the world. That that's something that you can just put off. Personally, I think knowing how to recover files make the backup well, certainly it makes it more useful, but it also makes it less um esoteric. Like you actually have a backup image. Like you really do. You can, if if you accidentally delete a file and you have a backup, a, a good backup system in place, if you know how to recover that file, it it doesn't cost you anything to get that file back instantly. It's just that quick. If you don't know how to recover a file, then that backup continues to be sort of this amorphous theoretical thing that you understand is happening, but how to get to that file it doesn't really it's not really there because you you don't know how to get to it so i think being comfortable with the the recovery process is kind of part of building confidence in your backup solution so learn how to get a file back from your backup even if it's just a test file just create a test file put like one word in it save it wait till your next backup uh, cycle and then go and delete the file and, and go recover it just see what happens. See how it see how it goes for you. If it's easy, that's great. Uh, sometimes it can be a little bit confusing. It can 
you know, are you are you getting that file back out of the folder and putting it back into the original the, the folder from which it was deleted or or are you getting the whole folder and it's going to copy that folder to some other location on your computer like you know there are weird little details that just the more you do it the more you get used to it and the more natural it feels and all of a sudden you realize you really do have a backup system you you actually have redundancy of your data and that's a really really good feeling it gives you confidence in your backup solution and it makes it easy for you to interact with it either when you just want to because yeah maybe i shouldn't delete that file or because when you really, really need to, because, oh my gosh, my entire home directory is missing. Number seven, off-site is best. Yep, it's just, I mean, that's that's the fact. It's not something that I do myself, but people will tell you off-site is best. Like, some people will tell you that in no uncertain terms. They will assure you that if you don't have off-site backups, you don't have backups. And, you know, I mean, there's some truth to that, uh, but off-site doesn't always isn't always something that's that's super available to everyone so i don't i don't know um again unlikely events how many how many house fires have you been through i don't know um i don't you know i i mean offsite yeah i mean if if there's a tsunami or a house fire or something like that my 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 backup functionally is is not going to be useful um barring those events however my backup scheme is is pretty good so Offsite is best, but it can be tricky to to arrange. Number eight, encrypted data is best. Ah, this this sort of makes number seven a little bit um a little bit more comfortable. So if you're backing your stuff up offsite like you should be, then then you know certainly you need to consider the fact that your data is now completely out of your control. It is some it is necessarily on someone else's drive, unless you own the off-site location. I mean, if, if that's the case, then then cool. I, I happen not to have an off-site location at my disposal, so if I were to do off-site backups, I would be backing up presumably to someone else's computer, whether that's someone else's cloud computer, someone else's physical computer, a hard drive hooked up to someone else's router, who knows, but I would be backing up to that location. And if that were the case, then I would want to ensure that those backups were encrypted. That would just be essential. And and I think in any case, encryption, full disk encryption is best. And so if you can arrange that, then I think that's probably a really good call. Number nine, rotate your backups and monitor your disk space. So something we very frequently don't think about, but it's kind of important. Uh, backups do tend to add up over time, especially if you're not deleting things on on some at, at some kind of cadence and and this is where backup applications come into play right i mean this is what they're for this is what they do they they keep track of when something was last backed up and how old the oldest version of that is and how long your you want your threshold to be do you want your backup application to lose track or, or rather remove uh data after 6 months a year Two years, never. Like, what? What's your what's your personal threshold? And that's something that you set within your your backup application. So you do tend usually you want to rotate those backups, ensure that you're not keeping a version of something from three years ago um, when a version of that thing from one year ago is perfectly acceptable. And part of that is 
monitoring your disk space. I mean, I think part of it too is just pragmatism. Uh, unless, you know, if, if, if you care that much about the versions of things from that long ago, then you really, what you're, what you really should probably be using, I'm imagining, is a version control system like Git or something so that you can actually, you can reasonably have snapshots of something from a long, long time ago. Um, but I think typically, you know, the the latest version of a thing is, is more or less what you want. There are some cases where, well, maybe not the latest version because maybe I've messed up the latest version and I need to go back to an older version. Well, again, you, th you set your own threshold there. Six months to a year probably, I think, is probably okay. But obviously you would know your data a lot better than I would. So you want to rotate those backups and make sure that your backup drive, wherever and whatever it may be, isn't just getting so full that your backups are becoming, well, that your backups are failing. Um, and that brings me to number 10, which is check up on your backups. You want to make sure, and then this plays into how knowing how, point six, knowing how to recover uh, your data. Because the, the more interaction you have with your backup system, I think generally uh, the better. I mean, maybe that's an overstatement. Maybe not the more the better. But you, I think you should be having some interaction with your backup system. Otherwise, as I said, your backup system may as well not exist in a way. I mean, it, it does exist. And if disaster strikes, then you have it. And that's great. But without any interaction with it, it kind of exists in an unknown state. So certainly you want to, like I said, rotate your backups and monitor your disk space. You want to check in on your backups. You want to know how to recover files. Having that sort of light touch on your backup system, I think, is really good because it assures you that that backup data is actually there. It's really there. It's really being backed up. If something does go wrong, you really do have access to the files that you believe you have access to. So you should do that every now and again. I don't know, maybe once a month, maybe once every six months, whatever you're comfortable with, check up on your backups. Just make sure they're they're happening the way that you think they're happening. It's just, it's good, it's good to be in the, the habit of doing that. That's it. Those are my 10 tips for backing up. Let's go get some coffee and then we'll come back and I'll talk about the backup system I have set up for myself. <laughs> with coffee. Hopefully you've got your own coffee there. I have, um, I've been on summer holiday, actually. I went down to, um, a place called Milford Sound, which is not a sound as it turns out. It's a fjord, but I went there, uh, for about a week and stayed in a friend's, uh, house in, in a city called Teano. And, uh, I had to sort of improvise my coffee solution because I didn't have a coffee grinder and um, didn't have my usual coffee implementations, but there was a uh, sort of an espresso maker in, in the house that I was staying in, but it was like unfamiliar to me. So I kept making coffee incorrectly for about, I, I was there for a good five to seven days, I think, yeah, something like seven days, let's say. Uh, I think for the first five days, I was making coffee really, really badly. And then finally, last two days, I figured it out. I got all the 
measurements and quantities correct and started actually having really enjoyable coffee. But it was rough going there for a little while. And it was also a, a, an unfamiliar brand of coffee. You know, I just went to the local supermarket and just picked up a bag off the shelf. I just had no idea. So yeah, it was it was a it was an adventure uh, and not necessarily a good one in terms of the coffee results. But luckily, there were cafes in town, and I was able to find a couple of good cafes with a couple of good cups of coffee, and a couple of good ca- a couple of cafes with not so great coffee. So yeah, I know I know the south south or I think it was west the the southwest of New Zealand. Now I I kind of I can give you. A little bit of a map of where to find the best coffee. And I mean, honestly, it's in some unlikely places. Don't don't underestimate Manapuri. Like the church in Manapuri, that's what the cafe is named. The church, it's a bar. Um, really good coffee. You wouldn't think it. You wouldn't going in, you wouldn't think, oh, this is gonna have great coffee. Great cup of coffee. Anyway, um I'm I'm having said all of that, I'm I don't know what I'm having right now. I'm having a sort of a blend of all the random coffee grounds that I found in a bunch of containers that I completely sort of forgot about before I left. When I go on holiday, I come back and it's it's as if though I've never been in my house before, you know, just everything's everything's in various states of sort of half completion. So I've, I had a bunch of, so I think this is a custom blend of coffee is what I'm trying to say. It is not great, but it was the last of the ground. So I'm going to start fresh next week. Won't that be exciting? So let's talk about uh, how I back up lately. I used to use uh, the system I used to call attach up, which uh, just was this trigger that I had in UDev to auto detect when I plug in a USB, a specific USB thumb drive, and then that thumb drive would back up to my home directory. That was a great system. I used it for years, and. Now that I've kind of, I've got this office space, I'm working from home, uh, a lot of times now, like, I, it, it's weird, it's overkill, like, why, I don't need that thumb drive anymore, I don't need to have that thumb drive, in fact, I think having that thumb drive on my person all the time is less sort of convenient and less efficient than just having that thumb drive plugged into my computer anyway, so... The thumb drive methodology for me, and, and in, in fact, my my reliance on thumb drives in general has has really lessened over the last couple of years in in some pretty surprising ways. Because I mean, I I was really a heavy user of that. Of I mean, my personal data was on a thumb drive, like that was my system for years, and it worked. It was really working for me. But um, yeah, I've got a I've got a sort of a proper ish like office now, like in this, in this house. Uh, and, and it's working for me, you know, really, I mean, I'm, I'm mostly on my desktop computer. And when I'm on my laptop in another room, I can just SSH over into my desktop computer and access the files that I need. So there's really, yeah, the portability aspect of computing isn't quite what it used to be for me. I mean, I just don't, I'm just not in need of it right now. So I decided finally, that what I really ought to do is set up a server, a little home server, and set up and make it my backup server. And as as often is the case for me, I I I I got given an old computer that someone was I mean it was it was going in the trash. And someone saw me and said, Hey, do you want this computer? I hate to throw it out. And I said, Sure, why not? 
So it's an old uh, Dell something or another. And it's, I think, well, I, I guess I could pull up the specs right here, actually. Am I am I on this computer? Yes, I am. Okay. Uh, let's do a cat or how do you, I don't know how you get information uh, on, com on computers anymore. INXI, how's that one? Dual core Intel Core 2 Duo E4600. Uh, yeah. So that's, uh, that's the, the computer that it is. So 2.4 gigahertz, it looks like. Max speed, uh, up for the last 70 days. Memory, um, it's got some memory. 4 gigs, it looks like. Storage, uh, lots of storage. Processors. Yeah. Okay. So that's, that's, that's information about the computer. It's, it's a 2.4 gigahertz Intel Core 2 Duo. And I thought, what am I going to do with this computer? And I thought, well, I need a backup server. Let's make this my backup server. So, um, installed Magia. Why Magia? Um, because I don't have, you know, I've, I've got Red Hat Enterprise Linux on my laptop. I have Slackware on my desktop. And I just felt like I needed to, to branch out a little bit. Not too much. I still wanted to stay within the kind of RPM ecosystem. Not that Slackware is RPM ecosystem, but I'm just saying, like, I, I, I know RPM, I know DNF pretty well, so I, I kind of wanted to stay within that ecosystem, having, you know, running Red Hat Enterprise Linux, RHEL, on my laptop, I just figured something similar-ish to that would be, would be good. And, of course, I considered Fedora for a moment, and then I remembered that Fedora has the lifespan of, like, a year and a half, or three years or something. It's it's not a lot. And I thought, well, I don't want to have to deal with constantly updating my backup server. Like, that's not something I'm interested in. Even if constantly updating is 1.5 years, that's too often for me. So I looked at Magia, which I've talked about before on the show. I'm, I'm a fan of of Mandriva. I'm a fan of Open Mandriva. I'm, op I'm, I'm a fan of Magia. Um, of course, so Mandriva is the, well, Mandrake, and then that became Mandriva, and then Mandriva ended, but was forked by two different groups, and I don't know the relationship of the groups, I don't know why they forked it in two different directions, I, I don't know anything about the, the either politics or, or relationship or, or anything like that, all I know is that there's an open Mandriva, which seems pretty good to me, and Magia. Magia happens to be the one, like when 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 Mandriva ended, Magia happens to be the one that I heard about. Like thinking, oh no, Mandriva's going away. What's going to happen? The answer came up as Magia. And and so that's kind of what I've I've been using when I use it. I just kind of default to Magia. No good reason. Just that's what I that's what I've been doing. Um I have tried open Mandriva as well. It's perfectly perfectly nice. It's a very nice little system. But I just, I went for Magia because that's the one that, I, that I've been using. So, installed Magia on the computer. I think I'm, yes, I am. I'm running XFCE because I knew that eventually on this show, I would have to start talking about XFCE. And um, I figured I'd better start getting more familiar with XFCE. And, and the nice, a nice thing about XFCE, not to skip ahead too much here, but I mean, to the end of the, the show, but I mean, not to the end of this episode, but to, like literally to the end of when I get to the end of all the packages in Slackware, I'm going to be talking about XFCE. Nice thing about XFCE is if you tried it once, you've tried it 
for probably five, ten years into the future. It just doesn't change that much. I mean, it it changes where it needs to change, but the concepts are all the same. It's really actually very, very refreshing. So anyway, been enjoying XFCE and um, installed Magia. Then I so and I kind of played around with it, made sure that everything was set up the way that I thought it needed to be set up. And Magia has a kind of a specific way of of configuring things. And and this for a very long time has been one of my kind of one of the the reasons I really enjoy Magia or you know broadly speaking the Mandriva distribution is that they have this Mandriva control center which is a little bit like I don't know Yast or something like that where you open up this control center and all of the things that you need ostensibly are there and it's it's really really nice. I do think it's looking a little long in the tooth. It looks a little bit like maybe someone could give it a little bit of attention, but it's very functional and it's it's really quite nice. I think I think the the problem with it and th- these are the things that you don't really see until you think I'm going to put this into production. I'm going to make this a thing for myself and I'm going to I need things to work on this and 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 then you start noticing like the little quirks. So the quirk that I'm noticing about Control Center now for Magia is that because Control Center exists only on Magia, essentially, or maybe Open Mandriva, I'm not sure. I, have, I don't remember, but it, it exists right on this on this distribution, and it doesn't really exist anywhere else. And so then there's this constant sort of like question: Should I go? Should I go to the Control Center for that, or should I be? Just opening a terminal and typing in sudo system ctl, you know, or, or sudo firewall dash cmd, whatever. You know, and it, it, it's this sort of constant, not really sure, you, you almost second guess like everything you do because you're like, uh, maybe I should be looking in control center for this first. And I, I mean, obviously that's a problem that goes away by becoming familiar with Control Center. But if you're not familiar with Control Center, then there are certain activities where you just think, well, that doesn't make, this doesn't make sense. And I, I think, honestly, the firewall is one of the things. Firewall for me, I mean, I'm really, really used to firewall-cmd. I'm a big fan of that command. I think it's really, really nice. It's a great system. I love Firewall D. It's it's great. Love it. So much better than IP tables. I mean, it inter- it interacts with IP tables or NF tables or whatever. But in terms of like the user experience, I just love how easy it is to open ports, close ports, change zones with Firewall D. So that's what I wanted in Magia. And, and it turns out that's not exactly how Magia does things. You're supposed to go to Control Center. You go into the Firewall settings. You can add ports through there. It was a great experience once I realized... I was doing it wrong and and to, to go to the control center and do it there. But leading up to that, I was pretty frustrated, to be honest, because I, I kept I kept doing things that I thought should make access to that computer possible and it just wasn't happening. So that's an interesting thing. And, it, and I think it's one of those things, where, like I say, you don't really notice it until it matters. And I think that it's a good reminder that as cool and fun as it is, to run a different distribution on a box. If you're running, if you choose to run a, distrib- a different distribution than whatever is normal for you on something, then you have to accept that you are ch- that you are running that distribution to learn that distribution. Like that's your new, that's, that's the actual purpose of that box. And you think, no, that's not true. I, I'm running that computer because I need it to be my backup server. Yeah, 
Well, it's not going to be your backup server until you've learned that distribution. And and there there's a time investment there, time and effort investment up front. If I had just put Slackware on that box, I would have been backing up stuff to it a lot sooner than than what I ended up doing because I had to learn things that I, I would have sworn I already knew. And that's just, that's important to understand, I think, uh, and something that I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to tell myself I'm going to consider in the future. Am I actually going to consider it in the future? No, probably not. Because uh, it really is. It's fun to try a different distribution, to get to know its quirks, uh, to test drive it. It's just, it is. It's it's a satisfying experience. And I, you know, like if, you're, if you love Linux, that's part of the experience. And if you've been running the same two distributions on your main systems for five plus years, then you start to you start to think, well, what, what if I just tried this other one? And that's okay. It's just something to know about. It's just something to accept. Like if you're going to do that, then you're signing up to learn. You're, you're signing up for a learning curve that you don't you don't see coming. It, but but trust me, it is there. You just don't see it. It's there. There's something different about that distribution that you don't know about yet. That's that's what I'm saying. It's there. There's going to be a learning curve. Anyway, installed Magia, set up the firewall, got everything ready, and then I purchased uh, two very large hard drives, eight terabyte hard drives, I think. Popped them into the tower and ran MDADM. MDADM is the... what? Is, what is MDADM? Man, MDADM. There is no man page for MDADM. DM. Okay, I'll just do a dash dash help. MDADM is used for building, managing, and monitoring Linux MD devices, that is RAID arrays. Okay, so it's MD admin is essentially what MDADM is. So MDADM is how you set up a RAID array on, on Linux, or it's, it's one way. Um, and I say one way because there's there's also, you know, there are RAID-like things that you could do as well. And I, I did consider just setting up like a um, an LVM volume and doing it that way. But ultimately I decided that what I really, really needed and wanted was just a mirrored RAID. I just wanted one drive to be mirrored by the other. That's all I wanted. So if one of those backup drives fails, then I'm going to remove it and put in a new eight terabyte drive, make it mirror the the new the new primary drive now, and and continue. That's that's the workflow that I want to make possible for myself. So I just did a sudo mdadm dash dash create slash dev slash md zero. That's just a a new device that I'm creating. It doesn't exist yet. Dash dash level equals one. Dash dash raid dash devices equals two because there are only two drives. And I I I bound dev sdb one to dev sdc one, and those are now a raid array of two drives that a level one that when when data gets written to one, it gets written to the other. Simple as that. So that is uh, my backup setup. It's a a, a Dell old old Dell tower in a wardrobe with two eight terabyte drives that are rated together on the client sides, and there are a couple of clients using actually different backup um, applications. So this is kind of cool. Um, on the on the client side, primarily I'm using RDIF backup, which is automated through the Anacron system. Anacron is a very cool cron alternative 
or I guess you could call it like a compliment to Cron. Cron, as you may know, runs on a on a computer, on a system, on a POSIX system, and it can be programmed to perform some action, any action that you can script. It, it can be programmed to do that action on specific days at specific times. And and there's a fair amount of flexibility there. You could say every Monday at 3 a.m. or every Sunday at 12 noon or every every first friday of of each month you know you, you can you can kind of you can set repeated re- repeating actions up pretty well but there's always that thing in the back of my mind that's asking what if my computer isn't on at that time for like 3 weeks in a row or 3 days in a row whatever like what if just whatever repeating action i choose what if that happens not to be a time when my computer is on, then the backup script doesn't run, and then it doesn't run, and then it doesn't run, and then it doesn't run again, and then it doesn't run. It, and, and, and so then it becomes a thing where I have, to, I have to sort of ensure that my computer's on at that given time on that given day, and then I might as well be doing manual backups to my, to my thinking. So Anacron is really nice because it does the same thing, but it, it, it knows, it tracks when the previous time something got run was. And if it can't find a time that satisfies its own requirement, then it runs. So you have different different categories. You have cron daily, cron weekly, and cron monthly. There's probably other categories, but those are the ones that, that I care about. So for my backup script, I do a cron daily run for uh, of my backup script. My backup script is just an rdiff command. rdiff-backup-print-statistics, not that that's actually necessary. Dash dash exclude dash globbing dash file list slash home slash clat2 clash slash dot excludes dash dash remote schema uh, quote ssh dash capital c dash i tilde path to my ssh key percent s rdiff dash backup dash dash server close quote slash home slash clat2 space clat2 at the ip address of my backup server colon colon slash vault slash name of my computer pipe pipe for an or echo equals backup error redirect it to slash temp slash backup error so it's just it's an rdiff backup command that tells it to ignore any files that i list in dot excludes and to to use this specific schema of, uh, of ssh command for my for for, for, the, for the backup uh, run and, and that's something that that's documented within rdiff backup it's just it talks about how to how to script it, and that's basically just me copying and pasting the the important parts of, of the example uh, and then adding a couple of other uh, options that I wanted, like the excludes thing. That's a pretty handy one to have. So that is just saved as, as like, literally, it's called backup in a cron.daily folder that I've told Anacron about. So Anacron tracks anything in dot local slash etsy slash cron dot daily or cron dot weekly or cron dot monthly i have a backup script that backup script in cron dot daily it's executable and so every day that i turn my computer on it checks to see if yesterday that job got run if it didn't run in the past 24 hours then it runs it then do i need to do it daily probably not to be honest i could i could probably live 
uh, with a, a weekly backup, but uh, right now I'm doing it daily. That's what I do on most of the clients. Is I just have Anacron running, and it checks to make sure that everything's been run recently, within you know a day or a week or whatever folder I put that, whatever I tell it to check for, uh, and and then it runs it if it hasn't been run, and that works great. That's been working great for me. Uh, on on my laptop because I have the option to use Deja Dupe, which is I think kind of the the GNOME official backup application. I could be wrong about that. It could just be a random project that that I associate with GNOME, but it's um it's a, it's a GUI application. You program it in. You 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 open the GUI thing. You tell it what you, you give it the location and the method to access that location, uh, all the credentials. Uh, and then you tell it what folders to exclude and what folders to include and so on. So I have that accessing the same location, the same heart, the same backup drive in essentially the same way, but having configured it through Deja Dupe. Now, I don't know what Deja Dupe, I forget what it's using on the back end, but it's got its own dedicated folder on the backup server. So um, no big deal. And for other users, I just, I create a new Linux user on the backup server. I use their home directory as their backup destination and, and, and set up the, the client that way. So it's been pretty easy in the long run, but I mean, as with any new system, I mean, there's, you have to set it up. There's, there's a time investment there and, and it, it took me time to, to set this up. It, it, it there's always always something more important that day, you know, and, and so you do have to get around to it. And I think that's really, that, that can be a difficult part of, of doing this. And that's why I say at the beginning of this episode, back up what you can and be consistent. That, that, that's a huge, huge thing. Like if, if you're, if, if you don't have the time to set up your own little backup system, back up the way that you can consistently, it's better than nothing. And not everything has to be designed and, 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 laid out and and cabled it can be something simple mine isn't very complex i mean it's just a it's just a dell in a wardrobe that happens to be plugged into a router that happens to be plugged into the rest of my network that's all it is it's pretty simple but it does take time to set that up so if you don't have time to set that up for yourself or you don't have the infrastructure for whatever don't do it that way do it your way but definitely definitely back up it's just really, really important. And it's something that for days and days and days and months, hopefully, and hopefully for the rest of your life, you're never going to understand why you're doing it. But in the unlikely event that something happens, you are going to be really, really, really glad that you did. I think that's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. My name's Klaatu. You can reach me anytime over email with feedback or comments, tips, or just to say hi. My email address is klaatu at slackermedia.info. You can also reach me on the Mastodon network, not klaatu, at mastodon.xyz. The show's intro and outro music is by Fat Chance Lester. You can find their music on bandcamp.com or on gnuworldorder.info in the archive you'll find a music directory containing the album from which this music has been extracted 
Until next time, thanks for listening and keep the source open.